Hello and welcome to Let It Be, a podcast about less doing and more being. This is episode 40. So, Brooke, my favourite writer on the internet at the moment, who is Mark Manson, he has just released his first book, which is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a you know what, Um, and I'm not going to say the word because it's just like one word and it's going to give us an explicit rating for this episode and I just don't think it's worth it. Um, Anyway, so what I wanted to talk to you today was something interesting that I read in that book. So listeners of this podcast will know that I'm quite interested in the concept of change and particularly the things that stop us from making the changes we know we need to make which is where Manson comes in. So he has created a law with his own name, (laughs) 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 which is so cool. And it's my new life goal to have an Exodus law of something. I'm so excited to find out what the Exodus law is about. I can't wait to. (laughs) Um, Anyway, he's got what he calls Manson's law of avoidance. And that is this. The more something threatens your identity, the more you will avoid doing it. And I'm just going to read a little bit from his blog just so people can kind of wrap their head around that. So he says, that means the more something threatens to change how you view yourself and how you believe yourself to be, the more you will procrastinate ever getting around to doing it. So, and he says, the crazy thing about Manson's law is it can apply to both good and bad things in one's life. So making a million dollars can threaten your identity just as much as losing all your money. Becoming a famous rock star can threaten your identity just as much as losing your job. So you avoid writing that screenplay you've always dreamt of because that would call into question your identity as a highly practical insurance adjuster. Or you avoid being talking to your husband about being more adventurous in the bedroom because that would challenge your identity as a good moral woman. So, um, so he says there are good, important decisions we consistently pass up because they threaten to view to change how we view and feel about ourselves. It sounds insane, but it's true. So, this kind of really resonated with me when I read it on a, on a few levels. But it kind of took me back to you know six, seven years ago when I was in this you know massive hole of depression and anxiety and stress and overwhelm because I was trying to do obviously too much and I you know I look back and go what we've spoken about this and we spoke about why didn't we make changes and why is it that you know people like us don't make change when it's so obvious what we need to do and I can see now that a large part of the reason I didn't make changes back then is because doing so would have threatened the identity I had of being a highly capable person who had their shit together. Mm. And making those changes would have been like admitting that I'm actually not that person necessarily, you know, I am, but I'm you know, not the highly capable shit together person that I thought I was. You know, does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I think I, I haven't come across Manson's law of avoidance before, but the <laughs> like the idea of it is something that's familiar to me. And I guess I see two sort of elements to it, but the main one is fear, you know, fear of failing, yes, but also fear of succeeding. And while his is much more nuanced and clever than that, 
I do think that so many, so many of the reasons that we don't do the things that either we really want to do or really almost need to do is because of fear. You know, it's because we're, we're afraid of what that will say about the stories we've told ourselves about ourselves or the identity that we have created for ourselves, all of which are just stories. And this is something we keep, we keep coming back to you and I, because I think there's so much there. I mean, we tell ourselves, for example, you told yourself, I am the woman who is capable. I'm the woman who has my shit together. I'm the woman who can cope with all this stuff. And that's true. I'm not saying that it's not true, but it's just a story. And it's kind of like a box that we put ourselves in. Once we're in there, we find it really hard to get out of it. So I, I really actually relate quite a lot to, to this law, I suppose. I know for me, it's been probably more, I mean, it applies to so much of my life, really, which is an uncomfortable <laughs> thing to admit. This is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Like so much of it. I'm thinking, yeah, no, isn't that just how you be a person? <laughs> yeah. This is like, yeah, it's kind of like integral to human beings to practice Manson's law of avoidance. Oh, yeah, it is, you know, and then you meet people who are just, I guess it's sort of an openness to success, but also an openness to failure and that they, I think that that can be a learnt set of skills. I really do. And I feel like personally, I've come a long way towards, you know, walking away from that, that avoidance and that that fear-based decision-making over the last, probably the last couple of years. And I'm better off for it. You know, I feel freer to try things and failure isn't the death sentence that I thought it was going to be. And neither is success, you know, and it's been amazing to kind of see. I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting one, isn't it? That in the same way that failure is never fatal, so too is success never the life changer Mm-mm. that we all think it was going to be. Actually, I was thinking about this the other day because um, I remember a friend of mine, like she had Liz Gilbert, the writer, the amazing writer of Big Magic and Eat, Pray, Love, etc., had been in Australia and this friend of mine had, you know, saw her at a signing and gave her her book that she had written. And Liz Gilbert did this big shout out about it on Facebook. And I was just like... Yeah, there's hashtag life goal right there. Like, oh my God, how amazing is that? Like, and you kind of go, well, she's made it, hasn't she? This is my friend. But, you know, and then I think back to that because I was thinking about her the other day and how I hadn't been really seeing much of her online. And I was like, well, there you go. Like, I'm not saying she's not a successful person, but we see these things and go, that's a life changer right there on a success level. But it's, it's not like, you know, it was a kind of an achievement yes. of hers to yeah, have this shout out. Like, you know, if, if Liz Gilbert ever shouted out about me, I could die happy. <laughs> but, you know, but then you kind of realize that, yeah, this success thing is not the game changer that you think it is in the same way that failure is not a game changer either. Exactly. I think tying identity to either of them, which we all do without question, but it's problematic because it doesn't look, you're right, like in either instance doesn't look as dire or as life-changing as you expect because you fail and you still wake up the next day and you still have to do the things you're going to do and life continues on. You succeed and those same things apply. 
you know, and it could be something as small as, and I, I, we're kind of getting we're getting more into goal-oriented life and that kind of stuff, but something, I think it was Courtney Carver or someone was writing about success and she said, for example, a small measure of success or a small achievement she'd been looking forward to, you know, surpassing was being able to get into a particular yoga pose and she really put all of this effort and energy into nailing this particular yoga pose and she said, and she did it one day in class and she grinned to herself and then she's like, oh, nothing else has changed. (laughs) Everything else is still exactly the same. Exactly. She said, the only difference being I can now do this yoga pose, which is great, but kind of tying identity or even, you know, self-esteem or, or all of those things to it can become really problematic, I think. Yeah, and I think this is kind of it's an exciting thing about this this Manson's law of avoidance that where it highlights, I think, kind of where we self sabotage. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a champion champion self sabotager. Where you know, yeah, I will do all the things necessary. I'll make the changes that I need to make to get myself to where I you know want to be, and then I'll just do something and it usually comes in the form of overcommitting. So I know that I am a big overcommitter. I know that this puts me in overwhelm all the time. I know what I need to do to not get into that you know, level of overwhelm. I do the things, I feel really good and then I self-sabotage and overcommit mm-hmm. and find myself back in overwhelm and it's just like – why do I do that? And it's because, you know, I I have this identity of like, yeah, the the person who can make anything happen, mm-hmm. the person who can be there for people, the person who can, yeah, just fit a lot in. And so I have to keep reminding myself that just because I am the person who can fit a lot into my life and who is highly productive, et cetera, that doesn't mean I should. Yes, and it's this constant, constant battle within myself. So it's just like, yeah, so I self-sabotage, I overcommit, I find myself from overwhelm, I go, God damn it, what is, <laughs> I can't believe I'm here again. I do the things I need to get out of it. And, you know, I, I pick it up earlier, et cetera. It's great that I'm, I pick up that I'm doing these things a bit earlier. But, yeah, it's interesting to me that I just cannot help myself. Mm. And I guess... Is it a bad thing? Like, is it such a bad thing? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> you mean sort of over like that specific example where you're overcommitting and getting stuff done and then becoming overwhelmed, or is it the like self sabotage? Or is it you know is it such a bad thing that I keep finding myself back in this place where I know I don't want to be, given I know much earlier and I yeah. pick it up much earlier? Like, I don't know. Is there a level? Of, do we have to? at some stage start being kind to ourselves and going, okay, yes, it's not great that you're back here again, um, but you are picking it up yeah. a lot and it looks very different. Exactly. To. It looks very different now than what it did a few years ago where you would just run yourself into the ground uh, until you could, you know, walk no longer. Whereas now you, you, I guess the frustration comes from the fact that you know that it's coming because it always does. <laughs> but, you know, I think at some point, you need to accept that that's who you are. Like you're a doer. You're a capable, productive doer who likes to to achieve things and make things and put things out into the world. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. And I guess maybe if you flipped it on its head and see 
your ability now to recognize the fact that you are heading into overwhelmed town as a strength rather than a weakness. You know, I think that I think that it is it is a good thing because because of who you are, you're able to do the things that you can do. So I think you don't want to sort of slip too far into the beating yourself up based on this kind of idea of self-sabotage because it does to a certain point allow you to well, not to a certain point, it does allow you to, to be an amazing person. Oh, thanks, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that. Because, yeah, that, I do think that. I think, like, it's a fine line between, okay, let's, let's look at Manson's law of avoidance and, we, and look at the things. Probably my problem is I'm not holding myself back from doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas he, a lot of the time with, with Manson's law of avoidance, he's talking about people... Yeah, not doing things that they really want to do, like writing the book or, you know, learning guitar mm. or picking up crochet because, you know, and these are things that can potentially impact their life in a really positive way. And those people aren't doing that because, yeah, they held back from doing it because it threatens like their identity and which usually translates to it threatens their perception of what other people yes. will think of them. Which is the side of the law that I probably actually identify with more. Like I, I know I've spoken about it before, come from like a place of fear. Yeah, fear. look, it's fear. As much as I don't like saying it, it actually is. You know, and fear of judgment, fear of like, fear of success, yes. Like when you were talking about self-sabotaging stuff, I, I saw the opposite side of it you know, opportunities and momentum and all of these things I have previously completely squandered because I freak out about what happens if that person says yes, what happens if I get the job, what happens if this thing does well and it kind of paralyzes me and I've definitely made big strides over the past couple of years for it to not be such a big player in my life but that is the side of the law that is uncomfortably close to home for me. So which, um, what part of your identity does that thought of success threaten? Well, I don't, like, I don't know because I, I just, I think the thing is I don't know what will happen. You know, what happens if, if my book goes well? What happens if, and it, for someone who doesn't have a problem with change and I really don't and who I kind of seek it out and I, I like shaking things up because I don't know the answer when it comes to me internally and what I think of myself, sometimes it's, it's easier to stick with the, the status quo or remain in my comfort zone. And is your comfort zone thinking that you're not very good? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that is where sadly enough, I am most comfortable just and you know what? That's actually probably it, thinking about it. If my comfort zone is going, yeah, you're just a bit shit, Brooke. You're an imposter. No one really quite believes what you're saying. Then it's comfortable in a, in a kind of weird, messed up way to remain there. Because what if it turns out that that's not true and something I do is good? Then what? Then who am I? Then how do I deal with all of this, like the inner mean girl and the the self-esteem stuff that's like, no, 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 don't, don't listen to those other people. You really are crap. So I don't, I don't know how to deal with that. It makes me really uncomfortable to think about doing well, which is kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, well, it is messed up. Um, cause I just want to, you know, take them in a mean girl out of your head and 
drop her off a cliff somewhere. Um, it's my violent side coming out. Um, <laughs> what do I do with people I don't like? Yeah, drop them off. Yeah, cliffs. yeah, yeah. Uh, don't get on Kelly's bad side. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, it's so interesting because obviously, like I've never had a fear of success, so yeah. <laughs> it's just a weird paradigm for me to even try to get my head around Mm -hmm. but I but I do see it like I do I see it in you and I and I see it in the yeah it's threatening this concept that you have that you know who are you to be this person and yet and yet you still put yourself out there and you still do stuff so that to me is even more crazy and amazing that despite all this stuff going on in your head and despite the fact that your identity is actually threatened by the idea of being a successful person which just fyi you are (laughs) (laughs) it you still do it and that's yeah i always always come back to that and go that's pretty amazing and i hope yeah I know you hate it when I say people should find you really inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> but I find that inspirational. I find it inspirational. Despite that, you still do it. You still get up and, you, you know, you started a podcast. You started writing, you know, a blog on the internet. You're now writing books. People want you to – yeah, it's amazing. I love it. It's cool. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. But, <laughs> but it's – yeah, I just find it so interesting that despite all of that, despite how heavily – all this stuff that you're doing puts you in a position where your identity is seriously threatened, like your identity of, as someone who's, you know, just run-of-the-mill whatever, yeah. you still do it. And, yeah, is is it drive that does that? Yeah, or? I think so. I think so. Uh, it's sort of like this, this <laughs> I don't know, second, third person in my brain who <laughs> lots of people in there, <laughs> lots of people. Got my inner mean girl, got my ambitious person, <laughs> got my cowering, <laughs> afraid of success person. Yeah, I'm not doing myself any favours looking like a sane person here, but uh, I think I think so. I, I, I've always thought that I could do something, you know, which is which is, again, this weird kind of, <laughs> like duality going on going you're you don't deserve to be anything I can be something and it's always been there but it's like a I don't know a mix of confidence and and all of that kind of stuff that has convinced me that that voice is actually just lying to me and I think over time I guess to get practical the reason that I've started to be able to put this stuff in a box in my head and which is sort of what I do now because it seems very strange. Someone who talks about low confidence and low self-esteem and in a mean girl and all that kind of stuff is public facing and creating things and being somewhat vulnerable in the public eye. Uh, that's Those two things don't really exist very well together. But what I've learned to do over the past probably, as I said, two the last two years I feel like have been big shifts for me. And I just put that stuff in a box and say, yes, I can see you, I hear you, I acknowledge you, but I'm ignoring you. And I think that's really based on a, a huge range of, of practices and changes and, you know, mantras and meditation <laughs> and all of these different things and like practicing mindfulness. Like they, those things all have 
really practically impacted my ability to continue on regardless of the fact that I'm absolutely terrified. And it does, it does seem strange. Even to me, it seems really strange that I can have one half of me saying, you're an idiot. No one wants to hear from you. Why do you continue doing this? And the other half of me going out and continuing to do it. It's yeah. Does it anyway. Exactly. So there's like a stubbornness there, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. Stubbornness is a highly underrated personality trait. It is. And I guess (laughs) it really is. The other side of it that I, when we first started talking about this, this law that I really found applied to me was my desire to be liked was, mm. is, was, and is really <laughs> strong. You know, we talk about it, about having these earnest conversations and I'm always, I always feel like I try and make <laughs> these jokes and, you know, like be, I don't know, the lighthearted jokey person. Because I want to be liked and I feel like if I get too deep into things or if I'm too direct with my opinion, I won't be liked. And it, like being liked, particularly, it stems back to being even in late primary school through high school, always I just, just had shitty friends. Not all of them. For anyone who's listening, I'm not talking to you. Um, <laughs> if you're listening to this episode, Brooke is not talking about not, you. I am not. <laughs> and they're certainly not people who I'm friends with now anyway. But just like bullying is a, a you know, whatever. It was like it was schoolyard bullying. It was nothing horrible, but yeah. it was nasty. And all I wanted was to be liked. And as I've grown into an adult, that was it. I just wanted to be liked. I wanted to be everyone's friend. I wanted to be someone that people smiled at, you know, and I wanted to be like the, the lighthearted, jokey kind of person because that's how I saw people be liked. And I realized over the last few years that that means I have been avoiding having an opinion or a strong opinion for yes. years. I've been avoiding standing for anything because I don't want to offend anyone because I want to be liked. So I think that to me is a huge and very impactful example of the way this law has has played out in my life too because I have avoided being opinionated. I've avoided even just having direct kind of language. That's something I really still have to work on because I dance around what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And it's it's something that I'm like learning to to not avoid and kind of go head on into in order to stand for something I guess because in that particular example if I don't if I don't stand for anything then I stand for nothing you know well this is it and this is something I'm really grappling with at the moment so last year um so I'll I'll go a little bit further back so I've obviously done I'm a writer that's my thing this is what I want to do you know majorly for the rest of my life um this is what I want to be known for for being a great writer and, um, and, you know, so I've done a lot of work on it over the years and I've had coaching and a few years ago, you know, I was getting some coaching and the coach kind of said to me, she's like, you know, Kelly, your writing's nice, you know, it's mm. technically strong, it's great, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with it, but it's very safe. And when you write in a very safe way, you just don't connect strongly with people. Like you connect at a surface level, but you just don't connect at a deep level with them. And she's like, you know, you just have to start being a lot less safe. You've got to stop having caveats in there every two seconds. You've got to stop worrying about offending people. And this is a huge identity thing for me because 
a huge part of my identity is I just want to be friends with everybody in the world. I don't like, I cannot stand the thought of offending someone, but I especially can't stand the thought of offending someone because I've been thoughtless or Mm ill-considered. So where I haven't, like my thing is I like to be considered as a considered person. So someone who doesn't say something just, you know, on the fly and doesn't really think about the impact that those words might have on people around them. And so what do I do? I I dance around things a lot. I won't say things if they could potentially be seen as inflammatory. And I really censor my writing a lot. And, you know, like you say, like, same as you, I've got quite strong opinions and feelings and thoughts about certain things. But when I do those thoughts in writing, I'm quite, you know, I'm just very diplomatic about it, which is, you know, it's a fine line between diplomacy and, as you said, standing for something. Yes. I want people to know what I stand for. And I heard a quote at a conference last year that was kind of quite life-changing for me and challenging. And he said, people who stand for something are simultaneously magnetic and repellent. And here, mm. and that kind of freaked me out because I was like, I really, really want to be magnetic, but I really can't cope with the thought don't, of being repellent. Be- and it completely <laughs> makes sense. Like if you stand for something, the people who stand for the same thing or have the same values for you are, are going to gravitate towards you. But at the same time, yeah. there are going to be people who vehemently, vehemently disagree with you and don't and hate what you are saying. And this is, you know, I always, over the years, I've kind of described myself as a flatliner where I will, I will happily sacrifice the highest of the highs to avoid the lowest of the lows. Mm. And Mm. I've, you know, come to realize over the years that that's kind of a pretty beige way of going through life. Um, You know, you, you, you're holding yourself back from the highest levels of joy just to avoid like, you know, the really, really, and I guess it's, it's it because, you know, I did get to the lowest of the lows and I didn't really like being there. Um, no. And I don't really want to go back there. I'm kind of terrified of going back there. So, and you know, I, I, I know a lot of writers, I know a lot of fantastic writers and I do see how they simultaneously are magnetic and repellent. And so yeah, I want to achieve, I want to write like they do. Mm-hmm. but I don't want to deal with the repellent side of it and it's difficult. Yeah, I struggle with that idea as well because similarly, similarly to you, I really want to just be liked, but the fact of the matter is you won't be anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. You, you know, there's going to be people who through no fault of yours, they're just not going to like you and there is nothing you can do. No one is universally liked. Like you look at the most likable, loved public figures at the moment. And I'd think of Obama or Justin Trudeau, like the Canadian Prime Minister. People who's just... Who doesn't like Justin Trudeau? Come on. Lots of people. (laughs) Lots of Canadians. Like a specific kind of... Yeah. And not lots. I don't know if lots is true. But I've I've read comments on, on posts about him where people just rip him to shreds. So he's... I mean, he's someone who is absolutely standing for something. But my point is, regardless of what you do or how you do it, some people just aren't going to like you. So you may as well, first of all, get used to that idea. And second of all, 
make it worthwhile. If someone's yeah. not going to like you, at least go, well, that's fine because I'm standing here standing for something and I will look you in the eye and I will continue to stand for it. Whereas if you kind of fall into the trap that I've fallen into, which is like, well, I'm just, you know, very softly, softly. And yes, I do believe in this thing, but I don't want to annoy anyone. And, you know, that, that's going to annoy people anyway. So I think it's, it's not easy. And I remember my dad saying to me when I was a teenager, people, some people just aren't going to like you. That's it. Like, get used to it. And I found that probably the most painful thing to, to grapple with as a teenager and as an adult. Because I'm like, but, but why? I'm a nice person. And then I would try so hard yes. to have those people like me. <laughs> I know. And you know what? In the end, I didn't really want them to like me. Because like, so what? So what? It, it, all the energy that I've expended trying to get those people to like me, what does that get me? Like a friend who isn't anything like me anyway it's it's and it's, it's another life thing that you think it's going to change your life because I'm the same like there's people who have not liked me and I've worked really really hard to convert them yeah. and when I convert them and suddenly they like me or they're my friend and then I realize this isn't changing my life exactly like, this is I've just put this huge amount of energy into converting this person and it actually hasn't made any significant difference to anything yeah, and I think the thing to realize or for me to realize is that's more about me than it is about them yeah. as well and it's got nothing to do with it with the fact that they may or may not be worthwhile people as a friend but more about what it's saying about me and why I'm so desperate to to yeah. convert everyone and have everyone like me it's it's an uncomfortable thing to consider it really is but I'm going to do some more brain marination of this Yeah, one. more reflection on that one. But I will say that what um, – so this year, obviously, we I've started podcasting. I've got the podcast with you and I've got the, the Straight and Curly podcast with Carly. And that, for me, has been huge mm. in forcing me to challenge, like, this identity of having to be light because we, you know, we don't – don't get to edit like what we say in these podcasts. Like when you and I are talking, when Carly and I are talking, like we're having a conversation and I like to certainly know I am sharing how I feel about something in, in that, in that moment. And quite often I finish recording and go, mm-hmm. Oh God, Oh God, I, I shouldn't have said that. Or I was a bit too strongly mm-hmm. stated on that thing or da da da. And I'm desperate to go back and, dull things down but then I listen back to the episodes and I go no there was actually nothing wrong with that and also like the you know the response from people is people like it people like people to be definitive about what they stand for because it makes it easier for them like if they you know if they look at you and they're like well I just don't really know how she thinks about anything, that's uncomfortable for other people, whereas it's much, much easier for them to either know that you're someone that they're into or not yeah. rather than being like this kind of someone in the middle who's like, yeah, you know, fades into the background, like I kind of call it brown corduroy, which is what I've been for a large, <laughs> large part of my life. You know, don't even notice I'm there because, you know, what do I stand for? And so, yeah, I've really enjoyed how much – how podcasting has freed up my writing quite a bit. I do think I'll catch myself going to edit something and then I'll go, no, nope, <coughs> that's how you feel. Whoops. Sorry. 
Brooke's just dying. She's also <coughs> giving me she's also giving me her cold over the internet. Like my yeah. voice is going. <laughs> I'm sharing and caring like that. Yeah, but I was yeah as I said, like podcasting has been amazing because it really has given my writing a new lease on life. It has really shown me that yeah, you can stand for something. I mean, maybe if, like, I don't know, if people were emailing us every week telling us that we suck, I might think differently (laughs) about it. But, yeah, it certainly opened me up to a lot more negative interaction than I've ever had through my writing because my writing has always been so safe. And that negative interaction has been fine, like, you know. And, and, yeah, and I look at the people that kind of don't like the things we say or how we think and I go, well, that's fine. You just – That's okay. You don't have to like Mm. how I think. These people do, and I'll continue to have chats with them. But you doesn't really matter, you know. Yeah. And then you know, of course, I feel like I'm saying, I'm second guessing, like what I just said. Going, oh, you know, I'm like I'm saying, someone's thoughts don't matter. Like, what kind of person <laughs> am I? <laughs> so, welcome to my head. Yeah, old habits die hard, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, though, just to kind of sum up, there is a, a difference between what you're saying and how you're saying it. And that applies to writing as well. You can you can say things and have an opinion in an inflammatory, aggressive kind of way, or you can just own what you're saying and kind of keep it contained and say, this is what I think. This has been my experience, not you, 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 we, we, we all must, you know, think the same way. I think there are people on the internet who have made a living out of doing that, being really inflammatory. But I think for people like you and I who don't want to piss people off unnecessarily you can still stand for something really you know it's just with strength and like a, a kind of quiet's not even the right word but just a, a calmness and say but that's fine you're allowed your opinion this is mine and so I do think that there is a like a balance between yeah, how you say it and what you're also saying Thank you for listening to this episode of Let It Be. If you want to connect with Kelly or myself, you can find us on social media. Kelly is at Kelly Exeter on Twitter. And on Facebook, if you search for A Life Less Frantic, you will find her there. And on uh, Twitter, I'm at Brooke McCallery. And on Facebook, I'm at Slow Your Home. And uh, if you wanted to either reach out to us on Twitter, you can use hashtag Let It Be Pod. Or uh, head over to letitbe.fm and you can find our show notes and other information about the show. And finally, if you wanted or felt you know, the desire to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. And um, you know, we, we read them all and we appreciate you taking the time to listen and then uh, tell us what you think. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.